0: God will repay those who come against his people. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemberg.
1: I'm Janice. And
0: this is a program called Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one year. We've been doing that for 32 years. This is our 32nd year. Very, very exciting. So make sure you stay there. We're gonna be talking about Isaiah 43, It's gonna be great. Okay, Corey and Ryan, you're here. What's going on?
2: Well, it, it seems like King Hezekiah changed a lot, uh, not only in Jerusalem, but in Judah as well. We're going to be talking about that today. Ryan? Today, I'm talking
3: about that voice Isaiah mentions in chapter 40, crying out in the wilderness.
0: All right, crying out in the wilderness. Take your Bible guide and turn to the page we're going to be looking at because it's coming up. Janice? Yes.
1: Today, my segment is called Fear Not.
0: All right, so get your Bible guide and your Bible, the world's best-selling book, and let's look at this as we understand what God is saying to us.
1: Isaiah 41, verses 8 through 16. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, All those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them, those who contended with you. Those who war against you shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth. You shall thresh the mountains, and beat them small, and make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord, and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah chapter 41, verses 8 through 16.
0: Isaiah chapter 41 and chapter 42, these two passages of scripture, two chapters, that's what we read today as we continue to go through the Bible. Take your Bible guide out and get ready for it. One of the most frequent beliefs in today's worldwide culture is that humans have free will and that this should be protected at all costs. Most recognize and celebrate the ability to choose freely, but very few think about the free will of others. To be able to have the free will to choose is also to accept that others' free will will impact you and to accept responsibility for how your choices affect others. Wait a minute, Rod. We're getting a little, getting a little close to my responsibility. Exactly. God also has a free will. He chose Israel as his nation. Now, there are those who do not like the idea of God choosing, in fact, They end up hating God for the choices that he made. Perhaps they should consider that God chose to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, in the human flesh 2,000 years ago. According to the Bible, God made each one of us who are designed for his plan and his purpose to do his plan and his purpose or his will. That's the reality of it. So as you take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage, it gets very interesting. We're gonna talk about God's choices and free will all around, responsibility. Oh my goodness, yes, responsibility. Nobody talks about that anymore. We are responsible for how we choose as Christians and responsible for how we talk as believers in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who told us that and he commands that to us. But let's look at the scripture today. Father, I pray as we look at your choice, And we understand that um, free will is more than just choosing, Mm. but it's the responsibility involved with that too. help us to remember that. And I pray that many Christians would hear this today and make decisions according to how you've chosen for us to live as we make you one of our lives. In Jesus name, amen and amen. I tell people a lot. I no longer have free choice. Because I gave my choice to Jesus Christ when I invited him to be the Lord of my life. What about you? Christians don't have free choice. They've given their choices over to God and God speaks to them how they should choose. It's very interesting, you know, Uh, and, and when we talk about Isaiah 41, get your Bible guide out. If you don't have one, call us or write to us. Go to Bible Discovery TV. You can get a hold of yours right there go to the donate page, click on the Bible guide it takes you to the donate page and pray about what God would do there. And we we don't tell you how much, but we, we say, Lord speak to them. And according to what he speaks to you, that's what we go on. And uh, when you get finished with that, it'll take you to a page where you can download the PDF files just like we have it printed and you can join us. So get a part of the Bible guide or get the Bible guide for the whole year. It's very exciting. Isaiah 41 verses 8 through 10. I love this part. But you, Israel, are my servant. God says, but you, Israel, are my servant. Isaiah's words continue. Jacob, who I have chosen. Jacob, who I have chosen, says the Lord. The descendants of Abraham, my friend you whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. So fear not, for I am with you. God says, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is stunning, beloved. God chose and called Israel as his nation. And that choice is still valid today. God has chosen and selected those who will follow his only begotten son. Beloved, we, I'm a Christian. I'm a Gentile, but I'm a Christian. And that makes me, Romans 13, that makes me part of God's chosen nation. That's stunning and unbelievable because God chose to love me. And you know what? He chose to love you as well. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jewish background or not. He chose to love you. If you come and give your life to him and say, Jesus, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I'm telling you, it's amazing. And he did that for me some 45 years ago. And I want to tell you something. Been everything that's gone wrong in the last 45 years has been my problem, and God has slowly, continuing to help me as I learn more. Back to the scripture, 41:11. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing, and those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you shall be as nothing, as non-existent thing. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand saying to you, fear not, I will help you. First he said, fear not, I will strengthen you. Now he says, fear not, I will help you. The second point is interesting. God gives his help, and protection to those who belong to him help and protection the enemy of our soul cannot damage us in any way beyond god's protection i know people and they always talk about the enemy this and the enemy that and the enemy does this the i don't talk about that because god has done so much for us of course the enemy is going to be playing out things but god is bigger than the enemy he has won the battle beloved so whatever I go through, I say, okay, Lord, I'm yours. Help me. And I've gone through a lot and I'm sure there's more to go through, but I, I, I trust in the Lord. I trust in God. Beloved, we need to trust in the Lord, regardless of how it feels. I don't judge my faith on how I feel. I judge my faith on my decisions and my decision to follow Jesus Christ and him to drop the Holy Spirit in my life is very important. 14 to 16, fear not fear not you worm Jacob you men of Israel I will help you says the Lord and your Redeemer the Holy One of Israel behold I will make you into a new threshing sledge with sharp teeth you shall thresh the mountains and beat them small and make the hills like chaff you shall winnow them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them. You shall rejoice in the Lord and the glory of the Holy one of Israel. God is encouraging them. God's people have faith. And with that faith, God uses them to bring his kingdom on earth. Followers of Jesus Christ are God's people. Let me tell you something. I follow Jesus Christ. So I am a member of of the Lord in fact uh, the Bible tells me in the New Testament that I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ so that's important for us to hear today God will encourage you and I would use the three times he said it here I'd use it and remind us that God says fear not I will strengthen you fear not I am with you and fear not I will help you Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now, you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku Box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to.
2: Now, one of the kings that Isaiah ministered to that his, his ministry of prophecy was really uh, oriented towards directing was of course, King Hezekiah. And we learn from the Bible and also from history and archeology span that King Hezekiah was a king who changed things. He changed a lot in Jerusalem and a lot in Judah. For example, in Jerusalem, we know that he extended the wall of Jerusalem. So he encapsulated the lower city of Jerusalem in preparation for the Assyrian invasion, just protecting more citizens than Jerusalem was protecting before. He also secured a water supply that was inside the walls of Jerusalem as well and in wider Judah. And even venturing into northern Israel, he launched religious reforms. Uh, But When we take a look at the burial records of the kings as recorded in the Bible, it appears that Hezekiah may have changed just one more thing. Take a look. The royal tombs and burials of ancient Judah present us with several mysteries. First, there's the mystery presented by the death formulas of the kings of Jerusalem. For almost all the kings, the Bible says that they died and were buried in the city of David. Burial within the city's limits seems to have been exclusively reserved for Jerusalem's royals. All the 12 kings from David to Ahaz use this similar death formula or saying and are said to have been buried in the city of David, with only five of these kings being buried in their own tombs rather than in the proper tombs of the kings, and for various reasons. This all changes with Ahaz's son, the reformer King Hezekiah. He's the first king whose death formula just says that he died. It reads quite simply, Hezekiah rested with his ancestors. Second Chronicles adds that Hezekiah was buried on the hill where the tombs of David's descendants are, so not in the tombs of the kings within the city of David, but rather in a royal family cemetery nearby. Kings Manasseh and Ammon are then said to have been buried in their palace garden, the Garden of Uzza. The next king, Josiah, is likewise said to have been buried in Jerusalem, not the smaller Acropolis of the city of David, and in his own tomb the last four kings of Jerusalem all died and were buried in various exiles. So, this leaves us with questions that researchers debate. Where exactly were the proper tombs of the kings? Where and what is the Garden of Uzzah? And why was there a shift away from burial in the tombs of the kings and into a palace garden and personal tombs? Some believe that the ministry of the prophet Ezekiel initiated the switch. In Ezekiel 43, God indicts Jerusalem for burying her kings so close to the temple and for accompanying their deaths with offerings. In this view, kings from Hezekiah onward were buried farther away from the temple to curry God's favor once again. There's also an interesting cultural association with kings and gardens. Garden tombs located in palace complexes were kingly places of burial in the cultures surrounding Judah. So perhaps King Manasseh's association with Assyria led him to choose a garden burial. These answers have led us to our next mystery. What were the unacceptable royal funeral offerings mentioned by Ezekiel? We know from King Asa's reign, and from a mention in the book of Jeremiah, that it was customary to have a large fire in honor of a dead king. Archaeologically, there are no known remains of a king's burial in or around Jerusalem. However, from more common graves, it's known that many funeral offerings, and perhaps even yearly offerings, were given to, or on behalf of, the dead. These were practical offerings like food, wine, and spices. Perhaps these were also offered for the kings in larger, grander quantities, and at least the prophet Ezekiel did not approve. So while of course we can't be certain where Hezekiah exactly was buried, we don't have any surviving uh, tombs of the kings that haven't been completely dismantled or you know robbed throughout the course of history, it definitely would fit his character to change this. There doesn't seem to be much that Hezekiah wasn't willing to change. He knew that the stakes were high and he knew that the prophets of God were calling for wide reform. And so he seems to be very, very responsive and reactive to these words of the prophets.
0: That's very interesting, A mm. responsive and reactive to the words. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. Very good. Brian? Mm-hmm. All right, well, my focus today is actually on Isaiah chapter 40, where the
3: prophet prophesies about the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. And there's no question surrounding who this prophecy is about, because the New Testament explicitly connects this prophecy with John the Baptist. And so today, we're gonna examine the life of this godly man. Let's study. John the Baptist has been accurately described as an imposing figure in the opening pages of the New Testament. Wearing coarse camel's hair and leather, eating locusts and wild honey, shouting at the top of his lungs in a wilderness place to the penitents and curious, John leaps out of the Gospel pages as a frightening first figure of a new age. He rants of the coming judgment when the unjust will be destroyed, he demands conversion, he washes those who have begun to change their lives, and he is ultimately beheaded by a ruler who would not repent. John the Baptist inaugurates the good news of God's kingdom like a champagne bottle shattered against the hull of a new ship. John's birth had been foretold centuries earlier by the prophet Isaiah, who described him as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and one who would prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. It would be the angel Gabriel who would announce the coming fulfillment of this prophecy to John's unsuspecting parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth, a relative of Jesus' mother Mary, was of the daughters of Aaron, and the boy would be a miracle child, since Elizabeth was barren and both she and her husband were elderly. Gabriel also revealed to them that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb, and that he would go before the promised Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah. John was to be extremely unique. In fact, as one author quips, if God wanted to draw a crowd before introducing his son to the world, John the Baptist was a great choice. Crowd appeal was guaranteed, given John's creative blend of qualities. Indeed, although most sons would follow in their father's footsteps to the priesthood, John became a monk-like prophet, who fully embraced the wilderness life. He also began baptizing people in the Jordan River, earning him the moniker, John the Baptizer. He apparently adapted the idea from the Jewish practice of taking a ritual bath to purify oneself for worship. On one occasion as John was preaching and baptizing, he saw Jesus coming towards him and exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Though John perhaps had suspected all along that his own relative was the Messiah, he now knew for certain. Any further doubt was removed when the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus after his baptism. Though Jesus' path had now been made straight, John continued on with his ministry. However, when he later confronted King Herod about his incestuous relationship with his brother's wife Herodias, Herod threw him into prison. Soon after this, Herodias conspired to have John executed and for his head to be brought out on a silver platter for display. Though John died before his 40th birthday, his mission had been accomplished. Now, just to conclude, I wanna read to you a little excerpt on John out of the ESV Archeology span Study Bible because it really gives us even more background on him. And it says, John the Baptist was born to an elderly priestly couple who lived in the Judean hills outside Jerusalem. Because the priesthood was hereditary, John had access to priestly circles, though likely not as a Jerusalem insider. This put him in a position to witness the activities of the Jerusalem priesthood. And have the freedom to criticize its excesses. Josephus' initial description of John is consistent with the Gospels. He was a good man and had exhorted the Jews to lead righteous lives, to practice justice towards their fellow their fellows, and piety towards God, and so doing to join to join in baptism. John chose to withdraw from the temple community and go into the wilderness, where, in the role of a prophet of old, he exhorted a wide variety of people, including priests, to righteous living. Josephus places John's baptism in line with the type of ritual immersions the Essene community practiced at Qumran. Hence, some scholars connect John to the Qumran community, which was a Jewish religious sect that also criticized the Jerusalem priesthood. John was active in the vicinity of Qumran, and he, like Qumran community members, had ascetic habits and dress, prompting similar comparisons. However, other scholars observed that the Qumran community emphasized a monastic lifestyle with a long initiation period and communal purity rules, including the wearing of linen garments. While John's dress and habits varied from Qumran purity law, and his ministry invited all to immediate baptism— And repentance
0: very interesting Uh, excellent ryan janice
1: yes i call this fear not this chapter is called israel assured of god's help and one of my most favorite verses in the scripture is found here in isaiah 41 verse 10 fear not god says for i am with you Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Wow, what an amazing promise from our Creator God, from our Heavenly Father, such a beautiful verse to remind ourselves with on a daily basis and who sits at the right hand of the father he says here i will uphold you with my righteous right hand on this side of the cross of jesus christ we can read and know in acts 2 verses 32 and 33 listen to this scripture this jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So when we read the scripture again, fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our help, Christian believer, follower of Jesus Christ. Our help and our strength comes from the ever-present help and comfort of God through his Holy Spirit within us. And our peace is upheld by our Lord and Jesus Christ. If that's not an important reminder to each one of us today, I don't know what is. Rod?
0: I really think that uh, we need to pay attention to what God is saying. He's as close as the mention of his name. Yes. And so I, I would encourage you that if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to have him invited into your life, then you can do so by praying to him. When you pray to him, you simply say, and some people close their eyes to block out all the activity around them, and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross, and I believe that you rose again three days later, and I believe that you're fully God and fully man. Help me, Lord, and forgive me of my sin today. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. It's a very simple prayer, and as we pray that, we allow Jesus Christ to come into our heart and to change us. Now, we're going to be you know, shifting our life around because we don't go after sin anymore, but we go after God. We go after doing things the way that God has called us to do them. And that's very, very important. So I want to encourage you to stay on the path to get away from sin and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. That becomes critical in serving God. Today, as we conclude the program, I just want to pray for everybody having a difficult time in this time of inflation, and this time of uh, all kinds of things, wars and everything else happening. And Father, I pray today for all of us as we seek your face, the face of Jesus Christ, to make things right with us. We repent and we come back to you. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' wonderful name, we fall at your feet. Help us today. And we said together, amen.